Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why am I with Seabus Super? Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I had an accident on the work site and they helped me out, no worries. Yeah, they helped me out real fast. Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, visit seabussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. This is The Final Word, story time with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Uh, we're recording this at different times on other sides of the world, but on my side of the world, it's one of those golden, lovely evenings that you get in Queensland. I'm sitting outdoors, the nice breeze is blowing through the literal palm trees and banana trees that are growing off the balcony, and it's time to open a refreshment Aww. and kick back for the weekend story time. Adam... Are you ready to go on a, a wander through the lanes of history that cricket provides? What a beautiful scene. We've been recording the final word remotely, obviously, all of this year. And the Zoom conversations we've had have usually involved looking at, as often guests have remarked, your sort of wooden cabin style background at home. And now you are, um, well, this is glorious. I mean, having had the great pleasure of sat on many qu- Brisbane, Queensland balconies over the years in those old Queenslanders and feeling the wind whistle through at this time of night, uh, that looks just delightful, as does the beverage you have in your hand. By contrast, it is wet, gloomy, yuck, and even though it's T20 Blast Finals Day here tomorrow, they won't be bowling a ball there, I wouldn't have thought. It is <laughs> gross. <laughs> so, um, yes, the summer is well and truly over. And I could hear Winnie giving voice, uh, <laughs> letting loose with a, a, a scream that could curdle various bodily fluids, um, you know, all through the human form. So she's warming up the tonsils this morning. Yeah, I think given the time of morning we're recording it, she will be a factor in this show. It, it is it is mm-hmm. impossible to imagine a scenario where she won't be screaming, although usually her screams at the moment correspond with happiness. They're happy, happy That's roars. Good. There, she, I gave her her first ball yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. I don't think I, mm. um, I, uh, I, I sent it around too widely, actually. But in any case... I saw uh, it on one of the internets. Um, one of the... Oh, uh, no, I did. I put one. it on my Insta story. I've kind of realised that the Insta story thing, which I've seldom used until this year, is very good for people keeping in touch with Winnie stuff. So instead of spamming them on the actual feeds, of course, the story disappears within 24 hours. It's a nice place to put up mm. just little snapshots of her being cute and doing new things. And one of the new things yesterday was giving her a ball, which she gripped very tightly, wouldn't let it go, and shoved it straight in her mouth. So I think we've got a, a wicket keeper there, given how, how closely she was holding it to her. 
maybe a bit of Shahid Afridi style yeah, as well. Exactly. You know, digging the teeth in to just, just to see what it'll do. Speaking of ball tampering, before we crack on, did you see the, um, the news that came out of England last night that Mitch Clayton, Australian expat who's been playing in the county championship for like a million years, uh, he's a real classic county journeyman, let's call him, uh, moved to Sussex this year under the, the stewardship of Jason Gillespie. Izzy and I were calling that game between uh, Sussex and Middlesex a few weeks ago now in the Bob Willis, and we saw this massive red spot on the middle of his shirt on the final afternoon, and it was quite a strangely a strange place for like just one concentrated spot of red to be, and we joked about it on the call, maybe he had a big lunch and dropped a glass of wine down his front and that kind of thing. Well, he's been suspended for nine games for ball tampering. He rubbed the ball against his chest. <laughs> which of course underneath the shirt had some sort of chain or uh, necklace or something like that and he was using that method to, to to rough the thing up so but he was sprung essentially i mean i don't know if this, this might be common practice but the reason he was sprung was the big red spot in the middle of his shirt right where his sternum is so uh <laughs> it's quite a quite a funny uh, postscript to the to the to the county season anyway i thought you'd like that I, t- I do, um, and no doubt there'll be many satirical comments about Australians and those practices. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you're going to shred it so intensely that it ends up leaving most of the dye on the outside of your shirt, it's maybe a bit of a giveaway. Um, yeah, you give so probably <laughs> probably hasn't thought that one through. I'd, I'd suggest if he's been busted through that method, then he probably hasn't been doing it very successfully before. Yeah, it was a funny old day that the last day of that particular game, and we did between. Izzy and I, we did sort of suggest that there might be something going on there. We, we didn't want to say it on air, but yes, the officials have, have arrived at their judgment and he's already served mm. a bunch of these. Evidently, the club had already suspended him and there'd been a period of time served and whatever. I didn't read it too carefully, but the, the long story short is it's a, a new and innovative way to tamper with the ball. One I will teach Winnie when the time is right. There we go. The old sandpaper necklace. Uh, let's have a go at story time. This... This is, this is where we tell the stories of history past, and we do it initially primarily through the method of Nerd Pledge, which is also known as Nerd Pledge, depending, you know, how enthusiastic you feel at the time. Um, some people are getting quite into that. Some people are, are opening their messages to us with, you know, many, many letters and exclamation marks <laughs> to say Nerd Pledge. So I'm glad that it's taking off around the world, and, you know, I hope that it becomes a rallying cry to, to bring us all together. Now, Nerd Pledge is a game that we play, Adam, with people on our patron page which is a thing on the internet it's a method for people to support the show financially but they do it in the shape of a cricket quiz they send us a number of dollars and cents that relate to something in cricket and we have to figure out what the number means sometimes we get clues sometimes we don't we'll start with a few new numbers before we revisit some that have gone by in previous weeks that we may not have got right The first cab is George Norman, and George has generously sent through $6.77. Now, $6.77, I was thinking $6.77, my my first impulse for these sort of numbers is they're likely to be bowling figures. And Adam, was it last week? No, week before, we spoke at some length about Jack Gregory. Mm. Um, Jack Gregory was a fast bowler in the 1920s under the captaincy of Warwick Armstrong, who was a very famous Australian captain. They whitewashed England 5-0, etc. And Warwick Armstrong was the, the first captain to come up with the idea of an opening pace bowling partnership. So it's quite interesting that something that's completely standard these days didn't actually exist at the time. Often you'd open with spinners or, you know, the captain would bowl themselves because that's what they did. But he got Jack Gregory and Ted McDonald to open together against England 
1921 and absolutely smashed through them. They they were they were a force to be reckoned with, and they only played I think eight tests together, maybe. So they played that Ashes series, and then they went to South Africa uh, and played three tests against South Africa there. So that series was the last of their pairing. But during that series at Durban in 1921, Jack Gregory took six for 77. And I think since that relates to what we were talking about two weeks ago, I'm happy to go with that. That's very good, Jeff. That's a lovely way to start. I like that we're revisiting Jack Gregory. I think we're going to hear from Warwick Armstrong later in the show as well. We'll not hear from him. That would be that would be impossible. <laughs> it would be great but if we we're, could. We're going to hear a story about Warwick Armstrong later in the show. Could we do a seance? Could we raise oh, Warwick Armstrong and, and have a chat? If, gonna, if we were going to do cricket seances, which, look, let's not rule it out in the future on Final Word, I think Warwick Armstrong would be certainly into the semi-final bracket in terms of if we're nailing it down to one person. It's also what Kyle Abbott took against Australia at Hobart in, to keep the South African link ah, in, yes. in 2016, that fateful week when Donald Trump won the presidency. Australia were all out for 80 a few days later. They went on to lose mm. their fifth test match on the bounce, which caused six changes to the Test 11 the following week when they went to Adelaide. And I note that as we're recording this episode, it's about an hour and a half after Donald Trump has declared that he has coronavirus. Whether he has coronavirus or not, who's to know? He said that he has coronavirus and the political implications will be considerable. And we've had a chat about this offline already. But given that was the week where he won against all expectations, and it was also the week where Kyle Abbott, who really was at his best as an international bowler and of course it was his last year in South African colours though because he went and registered with Hampshire as a coal pack player and whether he stays on next year as an international I'm not sure what their plans are now that Brexit intervenes but um, there was that week in Hobart where he was unplayable mm, okay I like that one I like that that was yeah that was one of those sad coal pack stories when he packed up in South African colours yeah. shortly afterwards so George Norman those are our uh, initial forays into 677 you can let us know on the Patreon DMs if we're right or not. Uh, next on our list is Ben, no last name. Likes to keep it discreet. I like that, Ben. Uh, you know, keep things on the down low. That's all right. You, nobody else needs to know that you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. We're happy with that. We'll be the podcast on the side. Ben's number is $2.12. So close to the 213 that is, of course, the magic number of the final word. But 212, 212, 212 primarily to me says Merv Hughes that's mm. the number of test wickets that Merv Hughes took and, and we've it's been a, a fairly Merv themed week the last week or so with saluting the passing of Dean Jones and uh, you know the, his Victorian teammate who who was so close with him you know and, and who was so much a part of a lot of the Dean Jones stories was Merv Hughes so nice for Merv to come up. Yeah, absolutely. 2-1-2 two, two, Merv Hughes. It's also staying with the theme of fast bowlers. Patterson Thompson uh, was the 212th West Indian. We talked about Patterson Thompson before in the context of all those no balls he bowled in Adelaide in 1996 Australia Day weekend, 1996-97. no have balls, been. was it? I think it might have, even, might have had a three in front of it. It was crazy. He overstepped time and time again. And I'm not sure whether I've told this story on the final word, but it's worth revisiting. When I went to the Caribbean on my first proper sort of fully-fledged tour as a journalist in 2015... We were flying from Antigua, where the tour game was, to Dominica, where the first test match was set to be played. And mm. for whatever reason, I was uh, sat next to Adam Voges. Maybe they sent the two new boys, both called Adam, were sitting together um, on, <laughs> on the flight. And 
it was, you know, good to sort of spend some time with him before his first test. But my enduring memory isn't so much that conversation as much as it is um, learning as we were boarding the plane that the that the pilot was Patterson Thompson, to which, to which, um, <laughs> to and then the gag started about the no balls and Craig McDermott, who was the bowling coach at the time, piped up perhaps his best one liner of all time. He goes, "I hope he doesn't overstep today." <laughs> 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 it was a ripper from Billy. So yeah, two one two a uh, link between Merv Hughes, Patterson Thompson, uh, and also I uh, note another two one two is George Street. The tragic story of George Street, really, who played one test for England in in nineteen twenty three. He was a wicketkeeper batsman uh, primarily, but at age thirty four, just the year after he played that one test match, he was a long servant of the Sussex Cricket Club, either side of the First World War, and of course played for the MCC as well. But he died in a road accident, uh, according to Wisden. He was riding a motorcycle and endeavouring to avoid a lorry at the crossroads and crashed into a wall and died immediately. There was questions of how fast he was driving. There was a, a verdict of accidental death uh, when they did the inquest and so forth. But yes, passed away uh, one year after playing his sole test match, George Street. So I thought that was worth noting as well for 212. Thanks very much to Ben. Maybe that's my brother. My brother Ben, possibly. He doesn't seem like the type who would put his last name into a web page like this so it could be my mm. brother and if it isn't thanks for being there anyway i feel like you are my um you are my relative by virtue of being yeah. uh, part of our patron family are not all men brothers in this world indeed you know, ben can be your brother regardless and i've always liked the patterson thompson sort of with the names it's great that there there are a couple of west indies fast bowlers who combine the names of other fast bowlers so, of course, Patrick Patterson and Jeff Thompson make up Patterson Thompson. Then there's Jimmy Anderson and Pat Cummins who make up Anderson Cummins. So, <laughs> between Patterson Thompson and Anderson Cummins, you've got four great fast bowlers in two for the West Indies during that time. Uh, thanks, Ben. The next number is from Christopher Byrne. It is $8.69. And... Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good one, and it's a good. It's got to be a big, a good bowling haul, I reckon. Eight sixty nine has to be an eight for sixty nine, I would say. And and this, my inclination here is that it's going with Hugh Tayfield, who bowled for South Africa in the nineteen fifties, and in the nineteen fifty seven Durban Test against England, took eight for sixty nine. Now at the time, nice that was that was the best bowling figures for South Africa. No one had ever betted eight for 69. That record stood for all of two weeks, at which point Hugh Tayfield passed it again by taking nine for 113 in the same series. <laughs> uh, and that record still stands. So his first record stood for two weeks uh, and his second record has stood for 63 years and counting. So uh, that's where I'm going with eight for 69. Uh, there, there is another eight for 69, which is Sikandar Bakht, the Pakistani seamer, took... 8 for 69 against India at Delhi in 1979. But uh, I'm going with Hugh Tayfield for Christopher Byrne. That's good knowledge. Thank you, Christopher Byrne. 869, that's a very generous pledge and one that will make a big difference. We always say it every uh, contribution through Nerd Pledge is essentially funding the show and letting us do what we do twice a week. So thank you so much. We've got a double header coming in from Reg Roberts and John Lansell. The number is $7.46, but more uh, telling than that is that this is the first time this has ever happened. John Lansell made his pledge today, the day that we're recording the show. It came in today. Now, you'll know oh. that if you sign up for Nerd Pledge, You've got to wait in, in line until it comes around. That Unfortunately, that's a, a product of having a, a few more pledges than we've got time to get through on a show in a week, necessarily. 
and we don't move that for anybody. It doesn't matter how important you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. If Queen Elizabeth signed up for a nerd pledge, I would say, first I would say maybe Wilfred Rhodes's tally of 40,000 first-class runs should be the number that you go for, <laughs> Your Majesty. But then I would also say, look, you've still got to wait. You've still got to wait till your number comes around. And the only way around that is if someone ahead of you has the same number, then we might do them as a double header to really get into all the complexities of the number. So John Lancel already gets gets a gong, a CBUS Super Performer of the Week perhaps for being the first ever nerd pledger to be on the show on the day that the number was pledged. This has come through. So $7.46. What does seven forty six suggest to your cricketing brain, Adam? Well, first of all, Reg Roberts, John Lansall, that again, very generous contributions. Thank you. And John, well played. <laughs> You've absolutely nailed this. 7 for 46 there's some good stuff here, Jeff. In a way, I'm glad that John's jumped on board because, you know, the convention is that we do a little bit more when there's two names attached to a number and there's, there's quite a bit to get through here. But I'll start with AB. Talked a lot about AB in the last week. Again, of course, in the context of... Alan Borderfield. Dean Jones is passing you, but Alan Borderfield. I mean, there's a lot of AB stuff going on right now. He wrote a, a really lovely piece in the Daily Telegraph in Sydney as well, which I recommend to pay tribute to his old mate Dino and telling some grand tales from their time together. But 7 for 46 doesn't relate to his batting or his captaincy necessarily, but his bowling. It's that, that one week in Sydney where he was unplayable. And I had a look at the scorecards. You know, I remember it as a little boy, but I don't... Well, very little boy, but I don't remember the, the circumstances so much. And looking at it, the Windies bat first and they're 144 for one. I mean, they're smashing Australia as they were doing routinely mm. in that series. And then they're all out for... 224, they lose 9 for 80, with Border taking 7 for 46. Richie Richardson was the first of those wickets to go, and then they fell in a heap. So Trevor Holmes and Peter Taylor were the two other spinners in the team, and they picked up three wickets between them. And they must have been furious that the captain brought himself on and, and run a mark while they were sort of fighting it out for the other three wickets on offer. But yeah, Border, 26 overs, 10 maidens, 7 for 46. So it wasn't as though he was... I suppose what the 10 maidens represents is that he was bowling tidily as well and making it yeah. as difficult as possible. They weren't all caught on the midweek at fence. Yeah, that, that's right. It sort of implies that by virtue of how tight that he bowled that he was doing plenty right. And in the second innings, they're going pretty well again, the West Indies, you know, trying to build a lead in the third innings. Australia made 400 plus in their reply, so they were well ahead of the game. But the Windies chasing the game. Desmond Haynes makes a ton, ends up getting 143. But on comes Border. Again, it's a six bowler used, and he takes four for 50, so 11 for the match. There used to be, you know, those banners that would be held around the Gabba, seven for 46 uh, for mm. years after to, to celebrate that Border spell, because, of course, by that point, he was very much playing for Queensland, having grown up in New South Wales. But, yeah, they bowl out the Windies for 256 in the second innings, leaving 80-odd to win. And then Dean Jones is there at the end with Alan Border, which I think was fitting, given our conversation uh, with Dino on 24 not out. And Australia win by eight wickets, a test match to, you know, just... It didn't mean an awful lot, I suppose, in the end, because, of course, the Windies beat them comfortably uh, the next time they played. But I suppose that it just gave them a little bit of a hint, a bit of a sniff that they weren't completely unbeatable after a stretch where they had been to uh, mm. successive Australian sides. So that's one seven for 46. One quickly, quickly in passing. How many times in the last two or three months have we talked about the last week of 1999 on Nerd Pledge? It keeps coming up. We talked about Matthew Sinclair. A couple of times, I think, <laughs> he's double hundred on Taboo in the last week of the millennium. We've talked about Sachin Tendulkar's hundred. 
which was, of course, in that same week, a test match at the MCG. That was also Brett Lee's debut, where he took five wickets on his first day in test cricket. Well, Andy Caddick... It was also uh, the last week when you could sing the Prince song, Party Like It's 1999, without being out of date. Well, and Andy Caddick did Party Like It Was 1999. He picked up seven for 46 at Durban before Nasser Hussain went on to play that ridiculous innings that we talked to him about um, during lockdown, where I think he batted over two days and only made about 140, but it it didn't matter. It, It meant that they had this foundation and Caddick bowls out South Africa and it's a strong performance from that developing England side and last but certainly not least Jeff a scorecard that you and I have looked at a number of times over the years it's the oval so test match times. of 1882 where Australia win by seven runs the ashes are born all the rest Fred Spoffer we often talk about the seven for 44 he took it in the second dig but he took seven for 46 in the first so 14 for the match seven for 44 in the second to ensure that Australia won and we have this little thing called the ashes lovely lovely stuff Adam I like that we've been able to get through Jack Gregory Ted McDonald and the demon Fred Spofforth three (laughs) of the pioneering fast bowlers of the late 1800s, early 1900s on the show already so far today. I'm going to talk about Ted McDonald a lot more on on one show in the future, but I haven't done it. Some of Neville Cardis's best writing was about Ted McDonald and Jack Gregory in in that opening partnership. So that's where we're going for the 746. Reg and John? I've got the uh, this right now, so I feel like I should should jump in and say I'm resting my phone on Mm. the book that Duncan Hamilton wrote about Neville Cardis, a great romantic, which I've been reading. So nice bit of synergy there as well. My phone is propped up against that book right now. It's good that it has multiple uses. <laughs> We've got a number that I, I've, I'm going to be up front here and say I haven't had a lot of success with this number thus far. It's another double header. It's from Richard Clark and David Short. The number is $2.98. Uh, Richard gave a clue for his interpretation of that number, saying that it was asking a lot of us, but it has a tangential link to a famous innings down under many, many years ago. So there's more digging I can do on that, but so far what I did today I couldn't dig up a lot. David Short, of course, there may be something else completely, but I was casting around and there's not a lot going on. So 298, it's never been made in international cricket by an individual. There are two first-class instances, but they're not exactly famous ones. Daryl Mitchell for Worcestershire and Gersharan Singh for Punjab, who was stranded, left high and dry on 298 in 1989. It's Jermaine Blackwood's cap number for the West Indies, a player we've talked about with evident relish and a lot of enjoyment on the show before and and there's an interesting quirk that i found that might interest you adam because i know that you say that vvs laxman in sydney the 178 that he Mm. made was the best innings you've seen it is so vvs laxman made 178 from 298 balls sachin tendulkar's famous 177 against australia was in 298 minutes so there's a, a little link there between those two almost at the same score and then the 298 matches up across both but I don't think any of that has anything to do with what Richard or David are putting forth. And I think we're going to have to throw this one back to the crowd. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Just to clarify, the 177 from Sachin, was that in which of the... I, I, I'm in not Bangalore. as good on... That's, okay, that's the 98. Okay, Nine, right. 98, was it? Yeah, yeah, 98. Right, yeah. that's a that's a wonderful innings at the Chittaswamy. Uh, Australia are going to win that match, but Tendulkar in the first innings was brilliant. Laxman's 178, though. I've said it many times, but it's on YouTube. I think the commentary on YouTube is the broadcast that went into India. So they are really, really mm. into it. It's worth digging out. <laughs> but yeah, I reckon, throw, let's throw that back. Uh, if you know what 298 might mean for Richard Clark or David Short, based on the idea that it is a tangential link to a famous innings down under many, many years ago, 
I'm looking at you, Pat Rogers. I'm looking at you, Abby Sim. Uh, those of you who've jumped in and solved puzzles for us in the past or anyone else on our Patreon page, have a dip on 298. All right, coming up next, it's Greg Sykes. The number is $2.03, which immediately suggests to us uh, Bradley John Hodge, highest test score, only test century, 203. But Greg Sykes is English and has more recently moved to Ireland, to Malahide, oh, and said this was his favourite player growing up in the 90s. You love Malahide. I do very much. I very much love Malahide. Please continue. So I was looking around. I was thinking, okay, this isn't probably isn't going to be an international number because there's nothing really adequate there, but it's probably a score. It's probably a higher score. It's a probably a first-class top score. Shane Watson's first-class top score was 203. It's not going to be that because he was uh, nobody's <laughs> favourite player growing up in the 90s as he debuted in 2003. Um, but he was everybody's favourite player since then, since 2003. So he made that for Hampshire. Michael Divinuto's another Australian who made 203 while following on for Derbyshire and saved the game, but probably unlikely to be an English viewer's favourite player. Interestingly, though, current England selector Ed Smith made 203 versus Lancashire for Kent. Uh, so he was batting for Kent. He was playing Lancashire. Now, he was bowled for 203 by Carl Hooper, who five years earlier had made 203 for Kent batting against Lancashire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Carl Hooper changed teams and then got Ed Smith out for 203, and they both made 203s for Kent about five years apart. So possibilities there in terms of who might be a favorite player i thought martin moxon might be somebody's favorite player in the 90s you know played what a dozen tests or so and and got got pushed out and didn't quite make it at test level but he made a 203 for yorkshire he had a, a test high score of 99 and never got to improve on that but eventually where i settled there were a lot of 203s in first class cricket but for someone who's since moved to ireland I'm looking at Dougie Brown. Dougie Brown played for England and then later for Scotland and had a first-class high score of 203 for Warwickshire in the year 2000. So that all comes together for me, I reckon. So for, Dougie for Brown, on the, on the basis that Scotland and Ireland, when Ireland were, were an associate nation, they played against each other a lot and that there's some link back to Ireland that way. I, I mean, I can see Yeah, that. I mean, just someone who's not... English, you know, if you if you decide to yeah. move to Ireland, then then your your sympathy is with the the Celtic nation surrounding it. But you want to know something else, Adam. This is mm. a, this is a special one just for you. You want to know who else made two hundred and three in a first class game all the way back in nineteen oh four for Somerset. It was a batsman named Lionel Charles Hamilton Pallaret, <laughs> who, who came up a couple of weeks ago, and we had quite some discussion. It was in relation to Lionel Richie at the time. But So you had a note come in from Ali Aldroyd from the BBC during the week to correct our pronunciation of Pallaret and make sure we, we got that right. Yeah, she did. So Ellie, one of the best friends of the show, said, I very much enjoyed listening to, this, to your episode on a long drive home on Sunday. By the way, it's pronounced Lionel Pallaret. We described it. How did we go originally? We went Pallarier. I, I think it was Pallarier, but, but Pallarier. I think there might have been a typo in the um, in the transcription, so okay. they might well, have thrown us off. Well, she goes on to say, um, one of his descendants, called Ursula, was one of my father's church wardens in Herefordshire. He was very proud of this fact. 
Love that. I love it. <laughs> it's love a hard that. name. Ellie, Ellie has yeah, so many great cricket stories that link back to uh, that part of the UK. So I'm thrilled that uh, it links back again to another, as it so often does in their pledge. The number that Greg Sykes has sent in uh, draws us back through via Dougie Brown, du- via, via Dougie Brown, via Martin Moxon, <laughs> via Shane Watson, via Ed Smith, via Carl Hooper, and back to Lionel Pallarette. Yeah, so this brings us into the revisited numbers seamlessly because the reason that Lionel Charles Hamilton Pellaret came up was in relation to a pledge sent a couple of weeks ago by Wayne Holloway. The number was 143. We were looking at a few things involving Lionel, for one, because there was a clue about Lionel Richie and some other bits and pieces like that. But Wayne gave us a clue saying that we hadn't got it right, and although he wished our explanation was the answer, here was a further clue. His further clue was that he has learned to love maple syrup. Hello. <laughs> Hello a little bit. All right. So we're, we're, if we can link this to the 203 that we were talking about earlier... Now, this isn't necessarily going to be right, but this was too good to pass up because this doesn't strictly relate to Wayne's number, but it relates to the 203. The 203 earlier was the West Indies test cap number worn by Anderson Cummins, who we mentioned earlier, who then went on to play for Canada 11 years after retiring for the West Indies and played in the 2007 World Cup well into his 40s for Canada. So, uh, Wayne Holloway, that's probably not your number, but it should be your number because... Anderson Cummins links to Lionel Pallarette, who links to Lionel Ritchie, who takes us back to whatever you were doing in the first place with 143. This is one Wayne Holloway's 143 is turning into one of our best all time third pledge numbers. I think the, the, the very fact that we got to Lionel uh, last week was thanks to Dancing on the Ceiling, Viv Richards Stadium. I mean, we've we've gone we've we've gone a number of digressions over here so um, I'm looking forward to continuing and having another go next week Wayne assuming that is that we haven't got it right and let's just, I think it's fair to, to assume that is the case but uh, we'll push on in any case uh, $1.64 was Jake Schmidt now we set Archie Jackson's century on Dubu. Uh Jake replied saying that he loved the Archie story he never heard it in that detail before it inspired him to have a good read which is what he loves about Nerd Pledge so I was quite gratified uh, by this note he went on to add though that if we we're interested in guessing his number his original nerd pledge was a tribute to another batting score that we might have overlooked because the innings was overshadowed by another high score in that game he picked it as a tribute because he thought it was the best example of dominant leg side stroke play that he had ever seen jeff you got busy well i was looking for Scores that were 164 that came in games with other good scores. But not being able to travel back in time and watch the games, I can't necessarily work out who had dominant leg side play. I, I can say that uh, Alex Stewart at Old Trafford in 1998 hit 24 boundaries in making 164, which is a pretty handy day's work, and there were probably a few of them on the league side, but Gary Kirsten made a double hundred in that match and and overshadowed him. Uh, Dinesh Chandamal made a 164, while Virat Kohli made 243, which probably no one paid much attention to. The one that would particularly interest you, Adam, is that Derek Randall, who has been discussed more on this show than you would imagine Derek Randall would be discussed anywhere in the year 2020 (laughs) in recent weeks, made 164 in Wellington in 1984. But what really 
put the juice in the gravy for this one was that he was overshadowed by Jeremy Coney, friend of the show, who made 174 not out <laughs> in that particular game. So that's where I'm going. But there's one more option, which, which might be the one. Yeah, look, uh, Graeme Smith made his 2-3-4 uh, in the desert in Dubai in 2013, and A.B. de Villiers made one six four. So the headlines would have been about Graeme Smith, but I couldn't overlook this. I mean, A.B. de Villiers, phenomenal through the leg side. Again, having not watched it back, it's hard to know for sure, but I'd be surprised if that wasn't it, and given A.B. has such a an ostentatious uh, range of strokes through the leg side, can play it in so many different ways. I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't doing something like that uh, in the desert against the Pakistani spinners. So that's back in 2013. Jake, let us know if we got it right, and thanks again for the lovely note that we really do enjoy uh, getting feedback like that. $1.64. If you know what it is, uh, please be sure to also jump into our DMs. Here is a revisit that I'm going to enjoy a lot. This came in from Andy Taylor. <laughs> the number was $2.94. Andy sent us a message to let us know that it did not relate to batting so that uh, Adam didn't talk about Alistair Cook for 12 to 13 minutes, which is very likely in the other case. But we had a couple of guesses. We, we were told to think laterally, and Adam did a great job with this by deciding that 294 would be the 29th of April, which would be Phil Tufnell's birthday. Andy replied uh, that... It was a nice surprise to hear his name come up while he was hanging out the washing this morning. Good to see that we can keep people company around the house. He said I w he'd been feeling guilty about how impossible his pledge is and was going to give us another steer, but now he knows when Phil Tufnell's birthday is. So that's a plus. He says, I'm afraid Adam was wrong. The number relates to a unit of measurement that I don't think has been mentioned on the show before, and also a cricketer who I don't think has been mentioned, which is quite a big omission. All right. All right, I p I'm picking up what you're putting down, Andy Taylor. So here's where it's going with this. This cricketer has now been mentioned this week, and I think two weeks ago when we last did story time, that cricketer is Warwick Armstrong, who was someone we hadn't talked about much before. Andy is quite right. How does Warwick Armstrong relate to 294? Warwick Armstrong famously weighed 21 stone. If you break that down into pounds, how many is it? 294 pounds was the weight <laughs> of the man known as the big ship, the leg spinner and all-round batsman who captained Australia and is the subject of one of Gideon Haig's best books. Warwick Armstrong, 294. That's his weight in the old system, Andy Taylor. And if it's not, I'll eat the hat that I'm not wearing. Bravo, Jeff, and bravo, Andy Taylor, for thinking so outside the square there. Uh, I think I mentioned last week, or maybe I didn't get around to it due to how our show changed a bit that I was um, at Lords in outside what is now the members bar there are a number of scratchings on the wall from yesteryear which have been preserved and, and one of those is Warwick Armstrong where he scratched his name into the wall at the pavilion uh, I don't know what year it was presumably uh, um, well he went to England a couple of times didn't he so I don't know which tour it was a few but times, um, yeah. what I do know is that it's still very visible I took a photo and popped it on Twitter if you're interested in seeing that so a strong Warwick Armstrong theme this week and, and we're better for it uh, the next revisit is from Matt Wust, he wanted to make sure we knew that it rhymes with rust and lust and dust, not wust. We described him last week, also known as the fake patch clap, of course. His generous contribution is 769, and we said it was Wes Hall's best bowling. He replied that your guest, Jeff, was thoroughly entertaining, having gone through a few um, different stories there, and it makes him wish he picked something a little bit more industrial era. But his clue is, if it were nine more, the 769 would have been heavenly. So uh, that sort of set me in a couple of different directions. Where I 
finally landed, and I'm not sure whether I've nailed this or not, was that hmm. Stephen Smith made 769 runs uh, in a series against India in 2014-15. Of course, the first time that he captained Australia when Michael Clark was injured at an average of 128. He overtook that last year, making 774 runs at 110 uh, in the Ashes against England. Of course, his second massive Ashes series in a row. I couldn't quite work out where the nine fitted in, though. Seven, seven, eight jumps out because... Well, Brian Lara was in the middle for 778 minutes, making his world record 400 not out. So it might be Smith anyway, and 769 might have been where he was driving on this. But I haven't quite drawn the link between 769 and 778. It isn't as though a player has made 778 runs in a series. They haven't. Uh, So maybe I'm taking this the wrong way altogether. But there are a couple of options. Any additional thoughts, Jeff? Are you happy to go with that? I spent... Too long today going through every career number of Michael Bevan trying to find something that might be 778 because that's where I thought he said it would be heavenly. Heavenly. What, what, says, what says heaven more than made in heaven, Michael Bevan? But Indeed. I couldn't find anything Bevan related, but I think the 769 being a Smith number is a good shout because if I remember rightly, uh, Matt Wust, when he was previously masquerading as Patch Clapp, his friend on this show, that was a Steve Smith-related number as well, mm. uh, relating to the Brisbane innings in the Ashes in 2017. So I, I think I'd be pretty comfortable with that. I don't know what the heaven link is, but I'm sure Matt Wust can let us know. Another revisit we had was from David Nichols. His number was $10.98. You said uh, idiosyncratically that 1,098 was the number of deliveries bowled by Brendan Julian in Test Cricket, which is a number that I'm glad that I now know. Uh, David Nichols wrote back and, and said that he had enjoyed that suggestion. He wrote and said, for a childhood scorecard pedant, your stats chat is cocaine for my soul. Well, <laughs> I, th- I hope it's a sustainable version, David. <laughs> He said, I'm English, and like many my age, my only Ashes highlights growing up were 90s dead rubber victories fueled by players who, with the shackles released for one game, became world beaters. My pledge reference is a day that I ticked off a bucket list item and witnessed a perfect day for my team. On an unrelated Ashes note, I remember watching TV for the Darren Goff Yorker to knock over Matthew Elliott for 199, as he referenced a couple of weeks back. The fact that this was a cause for celebration shows how barren my childhood was. <laughs> Um, Well, look, I'd say that I'm sorry, but it was fun over this side. Anyway, this, of course, immediately, immediately made me realise that the 10.98 must refer to the 10 wickets for 98 runs that Australia lost on the first morning of the Boxing Day test in 2010 when they were resold before lunch by Anderson and co. Of course it is, 10 for 98. I can't believe we missed that in hindsight, but I was just too drawn to the Brendan Julia number that there was no way I was going anywhere else but that. But uh, thank you, David Nichols, 1098. Again, <laughs> we've had a lot of uh, really lovely pledges today, uh, and that's another one of those. 107 from David Brooks. Well, it isn't George Headley after all of that. Uh, remember the clue that David gave us and emphasised in a second message was that it was a Shield game in Adelaide where a player made 107 in the second innings after a ton in the first. And there's a bit of a story behind this. He added... I went to Andrew Sampson because I, was, I wasn't going anywhere with this. And in hindsight, I'm disappointed that I didn't remember this because, of course, when uh, this particular man died, there was a lot of attention around this innings. Of course, it was David Hooks who made uh, 137 and 107 against Victoria in 82-83. And if I recall correctly, that 107 in the second dig was the record for the fastest first-class century in Australia or, or something like that. So uh, thanks to David Brooks and thank you to Andrew Sampson for helping me get to the answer on that one. Our last revisit comes from 
Harry Howard, a.k.a. Harry Hoffney Hobart Hines Howard, <laughs> the quintuple H. The number is, is $2.19. This was one that we knocked around a little bit but neglected to pay proper attention to the clue that was sent. Sometimes, sometimes they slip through the net. So I was reminded of that by Harry, but I've got nowhere near it. I spent a lot of today investigating the histories of various Mr Universe contestants because Harry's clue was that 219 related to a unique century and an aspiring Mr Universe. But I've got nowhere with this. So this is one that I'm throwing to the crowd. If you think you know something about an aspiring Mr Universe and the sequence of numbers 219, let me know. Did you have a look at Gulbuddin Naib's first class numbers? Because the first thing I think of, oh. I think Mr. Universe, I think bodybuilder, I think man of muscle, I think our conversations actually. during the World Cup <laughs> daily last year when I don't know how many times we spoke about Gulbuddin Naib, but certainly more times Every day. Uh, than his performances were across that tournament. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they were, so they I was were, going much more historical. I was... I was looking at, you know, there are a couple of former England cricketers who ended up being, um, trying to be bodybuilders. There were Chris Tremlett. Was, yeah, Chris Tremlett these days. Uh, I get Makaya and Tini is, is another one. So whether, you know, the, I've actually had better ideas in the last 30 seconds that we've been discussing this on the show than I had all afternoon on my own. So that just tells you something about the power of teamwork. Um, but there's, well, there's certainly nothing relating to 219 for Gulbadeen Naib, who, who has, not, has not made scores that big <laughs> across. Um, he's got one professional century. He made a century in a list A game, but has never crossed 100 apart from that. So if you know something that I don't about Chris Tremlett or Micaiah Rantini, something that relates to 219, let us know. Uh, Drop us a line via the usual methods. And Harry, we'll see if we can get closer to that number. If you want to play Nerd Pledge and set us a number and see if we can work it out, it's very easy. You just go to patron.com slash the final word. You sign up there, you set your number, and that means you can help keep the show going as we're doing it a couple of times a week now and uh, having a very good time doing it. And we've got one more revisited number this week, Adam, from Anthony Radford to $4.64. We were looking at Aaron Finch and Ryan Carter's breaking an Australian first-class partnership record of four sixty-four. It was not that. It was something else. Yeah, so Anthony wrote us a, a lovely note regarding his number of 464. He sent us a scorecard to tell us exactly what it was, which was when the touring Indians played Victoria uh, back in 2003, a game I was at every day of, I should add. It was a game where, well, <laughs> most people remember it for Brad Hodge smashing India, driving them into the dirt, uh, making 264 across 500 minutes and making sure that their visit to Melbourne was a difficult one before they uh, started that test series or maybe they played one test this was spliced in I can't quite remember but what I do know was that Victoria certainly got the better of them in that tour game Anthony goes on to say that he grew up and captained Matthew Innes in junior cricket uh, the small town of Broadford he was robbed of playing test cricket he insists Bracken got a gig ahead of him even though Matty had better performances but hey New South Wales and they're all still shitty about it and in this tour game for the Vicks versus India Innes picked up four for 64 and check out the four he got so I did you look at the scorecard the Matthew Innes wickets if you don't mind Verinda Sawag Rahul Dravid Sachin Tendulkar Sarav Ganguly thanks for coming (laughs) the big strawberry blonde uh, left armour has your number 
He goes on to say, Anthony, everyone in our small town was convinced after this effort and the season he had, he was a big chance for Australia. And everyone in our town still remembers this scorecard. Our junior coach was nicknamed Testy because his goal was to coach a kid who played test cricket. And he very nearly did. An absolute legend in our small town. I love stuff like that. I absolutely love messages like that, stories like that. <laughs> love r- rural cricket or country cricket. The fact that Matty Innes was robbed and they still talk about it. The four wickets, that's a, that's a ripper. Thank you, Anthony Radford. Uh, also excellent on Twitter, I should add. Thank you, Anthony. And we've had a lot of nice messages in during the week as well about Dean Jones. So we've been getting those stories from people on their memories and, and their responses to the last week and what's gone on. Yeah, so just to pick a few out, so Jeremy Burke, David Nichols, Sam Ashworth, Elia Andrews, who actually changed his nerd pledge number to 216 in honour of Jones's double century against the West Indies at Adelaide in 1989, and Tanya Winteringham, who was especially kind about uh, losing a boyhood hero. And we got a ripper to finish, uh, though, Jeff, from David WFG. Uh, I think we'll end on that. David said, just wanted to thank you both for your articles about Dino this weekend. Each varied, but both resonated strongly. Yesterday was my 41st birthday, which was when I heard the news. My mum sent me best wishes, but also asking how I was because she knew how much I loved Dino as a kid. I was feeling pretty flat and sad. Such a shame to go so young. She reminded me that I was furious when I wasn't allowed to take Dean as my confirmation name in grade six, which I don't recall, but no wonder I gave away the church. I do recall waiting for three days for his autograph at a first-class game in December 1990, played between Victoria and England in my hometown of Ballarat, and that I asked more than five times which were each rebuffed. It was only when a young girl approached him and asked for his autograph that he relented, and when she stepped away, he was shocked to see me with my souvenir bat in hand hiding behind her. (laughs) That bat is my most prized childhood possession, also containing Hughes, Berry, Rifle, Fleming, as well as Gower, Tufnell, Lamb, Smith, Malcolm, Atherton and Small. I also remember meeting Merv in the old beach changing rooms in Lawn and asking him about Dino potentially being included in the 1996 World Cup squad. He wasn't confident. Thank you, David. <laughs> That's a great, again, another great email. We're loving the correspondence around Dino through the week. So thanks for all of those. And yes, I thought it was worth reading that out in full. That's a ripper, David. Well, that is story time for the week. Thank you to all of you for making it happen. We'll be back with a lot of numbers and stories next weekend. And for now, we will leave you with our interview from last year with Australian fast, fast, fast bowler, James Pattinson. Jeff, before cutting to Paddo last year at Lords, uh, a quick word for our pals at Lords Tabs. We'll keep it quick. We just want to direct you to the conversation that we had with the great Lloyd Scott uh, on the weekly edition of the show. And Jeff, as we explained uh, on that show uh, earlier this week, he's climbing the three peaks starting Sunday, so starting this weekend, and he's doing it all in a 130-pound deep-sea diving suit <laughs> to raise money for the really important uh, programs that Lords Taverners are involved in. And if, you know, you're wondering why you should get behind this particular individual, let me ask you a quick quiz question, Adam. In the famous and loved trilogy film series, Back to the Future, what's the name of the actor who plays Ah, Dr. Ah, David Lloyd. 
Chris Lloyd. Well, David Lloyd's a batsman. David Lloyd or Chris Lloyd. It's Chris Lloyd. I should know that given I watched Back it's to the Future like 500 times as a kid, but Christopher Lloyd, yeah. Yep. David Lloyd being okay. uh, someone we've been trying to get on the show in future weeks, but for another day. Okay, and what is uh, the Doctor's catchphrase in those films? Great, Scott. So, Lloyd, Scott, put them together. What do you, ha- you have a link to beloved 80s franchise, Back to the Future. So, that's all the more reason to get behind what Lloyd Scott's doing. He's done, over the last 30 years, he's done a remarkable number of fundraising efforts. He's gone across Australia on a penny farthing. He's done an underwater marathon. He's ran the London Marathon in this uh, deep sea uh, diver outfit. I think it took him 24 hours to get across the course one step at a time, but very slowly. Uh, So he's a great man. He is a survivor of leukemia himself. Uh, so he knows what adversity is all about. Uh, former professional footballer as well. And yeah, we had the, the great privilege of catching up with him before he took on the three peaks. And in our show notes today, uh, and you'll see via the Lord's Taverners website, an opportunity to get behind Lloyd. He's retiring from formal fundraising after this, and he decided to make his last big effort to be for the Lord's Tavs. And I think that says a bit, um, an organisation who, who across seven decades have done so much for so many young people in our community, uh, great members of our cricketing community as well. So as you'll see in the show notes, Lloyd Scott's trip up the three peaks all for the lord's tabs we're proud to be in association with them on the final word hi i'm ian chapel you're listening to the final word with adam collins and jeff lemon This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, and we are thrilled to have with us here at the Home of Cricket, James Pattinson, Australian fast bowler. Um, you made your return to the test side last week at Edgebaston. Did the thought cross your mind at any number of different intervals in the last couple of years that that just might not happen for you? Yeah, um, firstly, thanks for having me on, you guys. It's a, um, it's a pleasure to be on. But, um, yeah, look, um, I think all, all uh, different things go through your mind over a long period of time. You, you talk about being three years since I played a test match, and during that time I managed to play a bit of county cricket. Then, you know, I was sort of, you know, feeling top of the world after that and then came back getting ready for a test series and my back went again and then obviously decided to go down the path of surgery. So, you know, there's all different emotions that... that that get thrown up it's obviously is it my love I played my last test I played my last first class game that sort of thing and then you know once I sort of went down the, the, the path of getting surgery I thought you know I, my goal is I've done this now my goal is now to get back to play test cricket so yeah it's, it's um, you know it's pretty it's some great feelings um, after the last test match that's for sure You've had so many near comebacks and talking about your last chance and it seems like the narrative around you, it's, oh, James Pattinson's making yet another comeback. Did, did you feel that kind of expectation and pressure last week to an extent that, gee, I hope my body does hold up now that I'm back on the big stage? Um, a little bit. I think as you get older, you, you, you play games and stuff and you, you know, you, you learn how to sort of manage your body a bit and during games and stuff, you know, when to sort of hold back a little bit if, if things aren't quite as, as you like, but, um, you know, touch wood, everything's been sort of pretty good so far um, after the test match and um, even leading into that, I think my preparation leading into it was fantastic mm. and I managed to, to play a lot of um, first-class cricket over here as well as back in uh, back in Australia during the summer as well. So in terms of preparation and stuff, everything felt good. But, you know, that's that's the main thing. You know, you, you get through a test match now, it's, you know, that's over now. You've got to prep for the next one. You've got to mm. keep your body, you know, in tune for the, for the next one. People were maybe accusing us of being parochial Victorians, but we were particularly enjoying seeing you run out there with Peter Siddle and, and play a test match with him. And, you know, they ju- it just stirred something in our hearts. So <laughs> how good was it for you getting out there with such a great mate? Yeah, look, it was pretty special. Um, you know, we had a bit of a hug and, you know, a few words before before we went out there and bowled and just to, to remind ourselves 
um, you know, sort of how lucky we are and how much we've, we've sort of come through the ranks together. For me, sort of like having that, that older brother figure playing throughout my career. You know, I was lucky enough to start my career at Victoria with my brother playing and, and obviously Sid's as well. So, you know, I think every debut and every sort of big game like last week, I've always had Sid's there. So it's, um, you know, it's sort of a comforting feeling having, having him there, that's for sure. We've often talked about having the big four being fit at the same time. Yourself, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stack, maybe even featuring in the same Test 11. That's unlikely, it would seem, to happen in this series, given the commentary from Tim and from JL as well. But what we're more interested in, I guess, is how do you get to that stage? We hear a lot about your back being fused together. What does that mean exactly? Like, what happened in the surgery? And give us a sense of what it felt like, say, two or three days after you've gone under the knife when you are I assume you were in New Zealand at the time, was it, having gone to a specialist that you accessed through Shane Bond, was it? Yeah, it was. So, um, you know, there was probably a month after I you know, found out my, my stress in my L4, which had been pretty much the, the problem area for, through the whole time. Um, ever since I got a stress over here in, in the Ashes 2013, I sort of, there was a month period there where we were sort of umming and ahhing and whether, you know, whether the surgery would be a success. You know, we had opinions from, from over in England, people who have done surgeries over here and and the, the initial um they sent my scans off my back and the, the guy in new zealand initially said look i don't think that i could really do much your back looks like it's it's too it's too far gone so Blimey. for me that was sort of like you know pretty tough news to take then i thought oh you know i'm sort of gonna have a maybe a one-day career here i might play a few 2020s and one-day career and you know first class cricket might you know i might never get back there so um there was sort of a, a fair bit of um contemplating over that month and then eventually you know he sort of said well look if you, you're willing to take the risk um you know I, and if i can make a sort of 15 percent difference in, in it then you know it might be just what what you need to, to keep you on the park with with that with a bit of management and you know talking to players like you said you touched on shane bond before i was in constant you know talks with him about how he felt about the surgery leading into it and then post the surgery as well and and also Corey anderson from new zealand had it 10 weeks post post me as well so uh, sorry before me um and you know he was another guy that that i shot off a few texts to and just got his opinions on a few things so you know having people go through that ex- experience and and being able to to lean on them is, is great and um you know really helped me through that phase so it must be scary you know you're standing on the brink of something basically staring into like this might all be over um and but not having to do that alone must have been important yeah i think it was the thing is um at that stage you know i was, I was married and the support of my wife was really good and and i thought i've always been i've always kept things pretty realistic you know i've you know, I always kept my, my close home mates from back home, my family and that sort of thing. So I think for me, cricket's not always been everything. I think, um, you know, I could, well, not easily, but if, if I sort of had in my head, if, if things didn't go right with cricket, I'd, I'd move into to something else. And, you know, I was just thankful that I sort of had the, the chance to play test cricket at such a young age. So, you know, for me, that really helped me get through that period. Like I, I hadn't sort of, you know, cricket wasn't everything for me I knew that you know I could you know get a life outside of there and be happy as well so you know f- for me knowing that I had accomplished playing test cricket and you know my my dreams at that stage were sort of fulfilled if, if I didn't get back to playing test cricket then you know so be it um you know I'd move on to the next thing but you know, once I got surgery and and you know I sort of in a way it sort of freshened things up for me a bit I knew that you know I'd have surgery you know my rehab would be different um there was different different feelings there was different processes around that you know the good thing was we, we moved from from the MCG to the Junction Oval with Victoria too so that was a fresh start for me so that really I think it was sort of like I was looking at it sort of like you know halfway through my career it's just maybe a bit of a freshen up a bit of a change that I need so once I had that surgery it was pretty much you know my goal was to play in the ashes yeah. we were all talking about your peak pace in that period I remember Peter Siddle talking to us saying don't 
rush him back, leave him be. But I suppose just after surgery, I mean, give us a sense of the physical response to that. You would have been focused on, like, just simple day-to-day life things, I assume, at that point. We're worrying about your bowling. You're probably just thinking about how am I going to get tie my, shoes. Hand, tie my yeah. shoelaces together or whatever it is. Well, I was talking about it the other day. I, was, um, I remember, um, I said, initially they had booked me on a, a flight three days after my surgery and um, I couldn't even roll out of bed after that and I was getting show- getting the, the nurse to shower me and all that sort of thing. So you know, that gradually just get pushed back further. And I think, like, you know, I spent two weeks um, over in New Zealand. I, I was a week in hospital and then another week in a hotel room and I was... I really, to be honest, I was struggling to walk around. I remember going for a bit of a walk, and it was quite ironic actually, because um, my wife had come over, and we'd we'd walked, gone for a, quite a long walk, and we stumbled across um, Hagley Oval in in New Zealand, so where I played right. my you last played test, test match. Yeah, and yeah. I just walked around there, and I sort of like, I don't know, it was sort of a weird feeling, like I've just come over here for for back surgery, and this was my last test match, you know, sort of two years right. ago, and I'm standing there, and it was a completely different site. It was just empty. You know what it's like over there? It's like a park, mm-hmm. abandoned park. So I was like. I was saying to Kayla, you know, this is where sort of it all sort of feels like it's sort of ended there and that sort of thing. But, you know, and I remember seeing that and walking back home and I've struggled to get home. I had to ring a cab to, to get home because my back was so sore. I think I'd walk too far just to try and see if I could find this place. So, um, yeah, that was it was quite amusing, quite ironic. Yeah. That's, a, that's a bizarre sort of thing. You've got these kind of ghosts of the past wandering around that, that little oval in the middle of the parkland there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit it is. Um, I remember... I remember Quite fondly, Beeks was a physio on there, and I, I sort of, you know, it was quite a, a hard tour for myself. I, th- I think in the end we we got the results, but you know, I'd I'd come in with a with a stress fracture in my fibula into the series, so you know, I was play, basically playing with a broken leg, and then um, you know, in that in that test match, I could start started to feel my back sort of goes well, and I was sort of like, you know, and then I remember bowling that no ball to McCullum where he yeah, snapped yeah. about 180, so everything that was going wrong could have could have gone wrong. I was oh, in a bit of agony at the time. The, the so. Mitch Marsh catch catch yeah, a gully that, that one. Was oh. one so, um, you know, I'm there I am, you know, bowling no balls, getting wickets and I've got to feel like I'm getting a stress here in my back. I've got one in my leg and then to top it off, I think I came back in the second innings. We managed to, to bowl really well, but I tore my ab as well in that same game. So I remember limping back to fine leg with a, with a torn ab, a, a stress in my back and a, a stress fracture in my fibula. So <laughs> I, at the time I was just like, you know, this is you know going to be my last. I knew it was my last test for a while and I sort of just wanted to... to get it over and done with as quick as possible because I was sort of, you know, at the time, I wasn't wasn't in really a great place. Yeah. So I think you... Is there a thought, like, do you want to not come off the field at that point? Do you, 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 you know, you don't want to leave the team a bowler down and all that sort of thing? Well, it was sort of like... Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. I think when you when you do get niggles in games, you've got to play through them because it's hard. It's hard, and I think that's what I've always done. If I've sort of felt my back going, I've you know I've always tried to push through it um, during games, and obviously, you know, it's ended up worse. Um, so, yeah, there's all that. But then obviously, it was it was lucky that it was almost towards the back end where my back completely went and my ab and everything like that. I think we had them sort of eight down in that second mm. inning, so it was sort of like. You know, I was hidden quite well and, Time to go. and that sort of thing. So I was quite pleased with that. But yeah, there's always those thoughts. I think that's a hard thing too. Sometimes with injuries, you know, you come into a game and you, you know, like Adam touched on before, you know, you, you want to get through the game. You don't want to let anyone down because you know there's only three bowls out there. So for me, there's always you know that thought. And I think learning from that now, if you know you're a bit sore before a game, and I think that's the great things with having so many bowls around now that you know if you are a bit sore going in, yarming and arring, you know, we're we're at the position now where we can sort of go the other way rather than push through it. You know, you can go well. You know, there's plenty of matches we've got to look long term sort of thing so you know for me that that's probably a big learning learning curve another thing i remember from that test match is you told us i think you told us after the test that you changed the way you were bowling you changed your action back to the original action the first time around which to us as you know watchers of the game seems 
extraordinary that you could just revert back to an older version of yourself. But that has been such a talking point, hasn't it? The James Pattinson action. Were you mixed? Were you side on? Were you front on? Like, does that sort of stuff after a while start to grate on you? Like that your what your you are known for is so heavily scrutinised and trying to find the right balance. Yeah, so I think that was a, that was why everything sort of was such an emotional build up with everything injuries, and then you know I'd gone through the the winter that that winter pretty much trying to change my action to side on, and I came back through the big bash and everyone was texting me saying, "Geez, your action's really side on," and all this sort of thing, and and that was okay for for four overs because you could you could manage it. You know, you're not tired after four overs. You can actually, it's you're making a conscious effort to run in and bowl side on. So, and it was just. The hard part was trying to do it in four-day games. You know, you might do it for 10 overs, but then all of a sudden when you're, you know, the heat of the battle, you know, I was finding it really hard to try and, you know, concentrate on that sort of thing. And then, you know, the, this, the coaches are sort of saying to you, look, look, mate, don't worry about your action. You know, just try and run in and bowl. And that was probably where I went. Where I went, I just sort of, because it was quite foreign to me getting really side on. Um, and then I sort of just said, look, yeah, uh, it's too hard to do this. I'll just run in and bowl like I used to bowl and not worry about trying to where my foot feet are going and that sort of thing. And, you know, looking back from, from now then, I think I'm somewhere, you know, looking back to where I actually started bowling. I'm somewhere in between those two things and I'm just running in and bowling now. So, um, now that, that takes a massive burden off your mind. You're not, not, not worrying about, you know, your action and that when you're out in the t- playing a test match. My first memory of you, James, you're probably, I reckon you're 11, playing Mitchell Shields for Danny Nong at DDCA. Our club, Endeavour Hills, was hosting the side at the time. Blonde kid, running around like a maniac around the club, from around the corner at Dufton Cricket Club, um, having this shock of blonde hair, bowling everyone out, making a truckload of runs. That connection to South East Melbourne remains strong for you, though, doesn't it? It's not just the place you came from, it's the place you live today. All your mates were there from... Uh, from uh, the South East Melbourne last week watching you at Edgebest and most cricketers move on to the red maps of the Melways near the MCG or near Junction Oval but you've made a decision to sort of stick close to your roots what is it about that part of the world that's so special to you? I think it's just where I grew up I think all my mates are there uh, you know all my cricket was played there as a young fella you know my, my wife's from there as she's she's grown up in Harkaway her whole life so um, you know her family's really close so it's just a I think being on the road a lot you know it's just a comfortable place to go back my friends are there, um, my family are there, and it's a pretty easy decision. Mm. I, I managed to... I was living in, in South Yarra for, you know, quite a bit of, you know, my early 20s and that sort of thing, and um, just because it was easy with training, but now, obviously, I drive in, and, you know, you get a bit older, you put a few podcasts on and, and listen <laughs> to those sort of things when, you, when you're going in, and, you know, it's, it's quite, a, quite a relaxing time. So, yep. for me, it's just, you know, the comfort of it. My, my, my wife works around the corner as well, so it's easy for her and, and that sort of thing. So, it's just, yeah, just really, really enjoyable for me. Your connection with the Dubson Club, uh, Lockie Dinger, is the, the bat maker at Kookaburra from from Dubton North as well. <laughs> did you did you know him uh, through cricket before the Kookaburra connection? Yeah, I knew of Lockie before before that. Um, yeah, I knew he, I knew sort of um, he was coming into that role as a, as a bat maker at Kookaburra. But um, yeah, that, that's that's great to have him involved involved there, and he's been making some some good bats for us. So um, he's got yeah. plenty of mentions on this podcast. That yeah. must be mentioned about we, six for Lockie. We, Dinger we're fascinated team. with him because he's like the master bat maker, but he's he came in as a kid. He's just making yeah. bats in his back shed at the age of eighteen, and then gets you know he's it's like the old days in, in it's like sixteen hundred Italy with you know the the master's apprentice or whatever it is. And it also would have been where you were playing soccer too, isn't it? Dufton North Korea Club, which is on top of the yeah yeah Dufton just, Soccer Club. Where you were doing there, both, and your, your family there. were involved in all of that. Yeah, that's it. I was I pretty much played all my sport at Dufton growing up and, and Narrow, Narrow North footy yep. and stuff and 
that's pretty much where, where I grew up with my dad. So dad was president of Dufferin Football Club for, for a few years and mm. still supports them. My brother played there as well. So I think it's you know, since my, my dad moved over from, from England, he's sort of been heavily involved in, in around there. And I've, I grew up as a little fellow running around um, the, the cricket and footy club and um, with, with my friends that are still my best mates now who came over last week. There was nine of them who come over and I've been friends since I was sort of six, seven years old and that sort of thing, which is which is pretty special. And I know we, after after the, the game, we, we were sitting at the... Um sitting at a bar across the road from um, the hotel and just talking about how good it is we've sort of you know we're all um, my, my mate just had his 30th over here and you know it's 24 years later we're, we're still best mates and I've just played a test match over here so it was it was pretty special talking about that sort of stuff I was thinking about this the other day about your wicket celebrations and about how they've become iconic in themselves really after the Sheffield Shield final last year those went viral you know the way you're pumping arms and legs I described you as a looking like a centre half forward last week when you were running into bowl for Australia <laughs> do you reckon I mean we obviously played in the same competition growing up and it's rough like the DDC it's rough cricket it can be full on biting as tough cricket as it comes I remember Chris Rogers talking about Melbourne club cricket and saying it was almost a, a proxy for football in the in, in the in the in the winter you play footy uh, in the summer you play cricket the way you play footy the same kind of aggression and, and so on do, do you think that informs the way you are on the field even now in that I mean not that it's white line fever or anything like that but when you're bowling for Australia that you let your emotions show and, and part of it is built on that, that upbringing of playing tough cricket in the DDCA yeah, I think so. I think um, my brother was very much like that as well. My dad's a very passionate guy, and he's always wore his heart on his, on his sleeve as mm. well. So I think I get that. It just runs through my family a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think it. I think a big thing is, is just the enjoyment, and I think, you know, I love trying to motivate my teammates as well. I think I can do that by, you know, the way your body language is and stuff like that. And I think in the end, you know, you've got to enjoy life, and I think, you know, you're playing cricket, whether it be for Victoria or Dandenong, I still love getting a wicket for there and playing for them. And Australia, it's all, you know, it's all great fun, and, um, you know, they're pretty hard to get wickets sometimes, so they're always fun to celebrate. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, you mentioned your dad and your brother. You, you've got that strong England connection as well, you know, playing in the Ashes, but your, your dad being from England, you know, you've got the Big Ben tattoo, um, you know, Darren playing for England, obviously. So it, it's interesting that there's that cross-country connection as well. Yeah, I think so. I'm just talking about where my dad was, is from Grimsby, which is probably one of the roughest places mm. in England. So um, <laughs> I think that's probably where I get a bit of my, my, bit of my roughness from. Um, Grimsby crossed with Nary. <laughs> yeah, crossed with, crossed with Dufton. I think it was always dad Perfect. being from Grisbane. He was from Grimsby. I think he was always going to end up in Dufton. So yeah. <laughs> somehow that, that ties in really well. But um, yeah, look, I've, I've seen my fair shares of, um, of fights at Dufton Football Club and all that sort of thing over the years. So um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably obviously all that sort of stuff and, you know, seeing a lot of that and seeing a lot of the, you know, the way footy was used, used to be played at local footy and all that sort of thing, you know, it's obviously, um, you know, you grow up in a lot of that stuff. With the England side of that Jeff touched on, when Darren played for England back in 2003, he still cops a bit of grief from people around the bout. I remember asking you a few years ago about that and you were quite defensive, reminding people that he did take wickets in that test match and it's not his fault, the circumstances in which he was born into and the chance he got through playing county cricket. I mean, you know, I can understand having that sort of, you know, sibling defensiveness there yeah well I think I think when you get older I think the thing I've realized is that you know there's always going to be people who have opinions of you and stuff like that whether they're good or bad I think you just I think that that's where it comes back to you know your roots and stuff like that with mm. the people that, that, care, that matter about or care to you the most and, and matter to you the most that you just go back to them and you know you, you get feedback off them and there's always going to be obviously playing cricket at the biggest stage there's always going to be criticism you know, whether it's good or bad and you try not to read too much into either of that. So I think as you get older, you realise that. And, um, you know, for Darren to play a test match is pretty remarkable having not played, you know, for 
first-class cricket till he was sort of 26 at Victoria and just happened to come over here. It worked out that Dave Hussey was playing here and Darren had an English passport, so, you know, it worked out really well for him. And, you know, whether he should have played or shouldn't have played that, that test match, it doesn't really matter now. So, but, um, look, for him, I think, you know, coming from, from playing pretty much a different pathway to me, he was playing cricket for Dufton at 20, 20, 21 and not even playing at Dandenong. So for him to play 70 first-class games is a pretty great achievement and, and um, you know, something that he should be proud of, not just him, but, you know, we're pretty proud of, as a family to, to know that we've had, you know, two people. And I know Dad is definitely, he's the proudest to have two sons play test cricket. Well, I think it's been, it was over a century since you had a pair of brothers playing test cricket for different countries as well. So, like, you know, it's quite a significant achievement. And there aren't that many test cricketers in the world. So to be one of them still matters, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, you've had a couple of stints at Knots, which follows in the footsteps of Darren too. He won the championship with them in 2010, I think it was. And um, how important has it been coming over here? How comfortable do you feel bowling in England? Because having watched you a bit in the county championship, it looks as though it suits you as well, if not better than bowling in Australia. Yeah, I think, like, like you touched on, I think it's just the experience over here. Um, the time that I've had with Nottingham, especially in 2017, was probably the, the most enjoyable I've enjoyed, like the most enjoyment out of cricket I've had for, for years. You know, just playing with a different bunch of guys, different coaches, you know, obviously the roots I have there for my brother playing there for seven years, you know, a lot of, go- a lot of them guys did play with my brother and, you know, it was just a bit of a change for me and, um, you know, getting into a different country experience, you know, different structures and everything for me was, was fantastic and I really enjoyed it. So, I think it, you know, coming into this series now with the experience I've had in, in, in county cricket is just, you know, it's sort of like, you get, it's priceless really, you can't, you can't get it anywhere, so yeah, it's been great. Obviously a defining memory we have of you is test debut, triple wicket maiden, like the explosion of the celebration, Mark Nicholas going, a star is born. Um, t- tell us a little bit about that moment, that experience and, and being in the middle of it. Yeah, look, it was it's sort of a, a really surreal sort of experience. I, I remember sitting there and, and then I think it was like a few overs left to bowl and I, I managed to get McCullum out and I'm, I looked up, there was no mid on, mid off, there was literally five or six slips in a gully and you know, I thought I was like playing a PlayStation game. I look up and there's Michael Clark and Ricky Ponting and Michael Hussey sitting in first but I'm a 21 year old kid bowling and it's just like it's really weird because you you have to pinch yourself out there and think you know this is actually happening because it doesn't sometimes you just go on and you just you know you get caught up in the moment and you you don't really realize what's just happened but yeah look it was pretty special and you know it was great I had all my mates there at the time too as well but they actually like the next morning they they missed all that like my brother missed it too he I think he went to the um went out that night or something like that and he was hung over so he missed that more <laughs> like it was missed the two overs and my mates were like charging in the gate as it as it was happening so uh, that was quite funny but yeah I think it's you know, one of those things that you just you know you, you sit back on when like when you're injured and stuff and think you know and and I think you know people sit there and say look you know you could have played so many more tests if you weren't injured and that sort of thing but I'm just grateful for the the tests that I have played and to be back here playing test cricket I think you know sometimes you people can look at what you don't have but for me it was just the fact that I played test cricket especially at a young age I've played with players like Ricky Ponting and you know Mike Hussey Michael Clark yeah, like sure. you've got to sit there and go how, how amazing is this like it's pretty good and, and in special games like even when you've been injured you know you're injured in that South Africa win but that was a series winning test in South Africa with you know one of the greatest finishes of all time with Ryan Harris yeah that's right that's another that's probably one of the well it probably is the best test, test match I've ever played in and to be involved in that and um, you know obviously getting injured at the end of it you go through so many emotions that you get the, the emotions of just winning a test match and you and then two days later you're on a plane and you, you've got stresses in your back so that's just the, <laughs> that's just the emotions and the roller coasters you go through as a professional athlete but it yeah, definitely I think you know when you sit back and think about it you wouldn't change it wouldn't change at all yeah 
that, that, that roller coaster, if you like, I mean, you've played 18 test matches, Mitchell Stark's played 51, you debuted in that same fixture at Brisbane. I mean, Pat Cummins has a similar story of being out of the game for a long time and coming back. 2013, I mean, you're one of the Mahali Four, we forget about that, one of the guys suspended during homework gate. You play at Lords, you bowl the first over ahead of Ryan Harris at Lords. You're so highly considered at that part of your career. Regrettably, of course, you, you, you rip your side off the bone from memory, something um, like that? No, that's my first time I did my back. So oh, that was the first stress yeah, fracture, was wasn't it? Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm confused yeah. about which one was which. Yeah, yeah. It gets to probably get to after a while. Um, but coming back to Lords this week, I mean, it probably does evoke a, a certain um, memory of a, of a special time in your life, even though it ended badly in a loss and a serious injury. But I remember you bowling up the slope from the from the nursery end in that test and people said, no, no, bowl the quick guy from the from the pavilion end. Is that something you've had a conversation about this week yet, about whether you might want to run down the slope like Glenn McGrath or, or sort of come up at like a traditional outswing bowler? Um, I think it'll just... I think the thing with all our bowlers, it'll probably... Both ends will suit all bowlers, I think. Like, traditionally over here, I've sort of not worried about swing, so more seam. So if you... Back then, I reckon I was more of a genuine swinger of the ball, so down the slope probably didn't help me. I didn't have the other one that could come back, but right. I think my bowling's evolved over the years where I've got the one that comes back now, so yep. I think both ends, and I think all the bowlers are the same, Cummings and Siddle's the same as well. You know, they, they can nip the ball both ways. Right. Um, so I think, you know, it's probably much of a muchness for, for us, but I think... I don't know, maybe the, the iconicness of the, the pavilion and bowling from that end with Glenn McGrath and all that sort of thing, you'd yeah, probably yeah. like to come from that end at some stage. But, um, yeah, I think it's 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 a great ground. And I'm, I'm actually, one of my last games here was um, with Nottingham and we won a one-day cup final. Of here course, at the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Finals day at Lords and that was an unbelievable win. We played Surrey in that and we ended up chasing 280 or something like that to, to win that. So that was my, my last memory of this ground, which was pretty special. We were up in the in the home dressing rooms and we just, just won there with Knotts. And uh, I think that's why it was such a special year that we'd, we were pretty much top of the, the championship and um, we, were, we won the one-day stuff. And then the boys managed to win the 2020s in the same year. So it was, it was pretty good. I, I remember 2013 more for your batting, Trent Bridge. That was the, the first test I covered professionally and, and you nearly pulled off the win with Brad Haddon in the second innings. It was, it was one of the more exciting things we've seen since the first innings when Ashton Agar made the 98. Yeah, look, um, I think as you see now, like even the last test match, you see Sids get runs at the end and then obviously myself and Paddy whacked him a little bit at the end. So I think, you know, that's the, the big thing over here. If you, you know, you can put value on your wicket and make runs, it makes it makes it extremely hard for can, the other team. Can I, can I share something? I, w- I want to read you a text message exchange that I had with a mate during the Lord's Test in 2013. <laughs> um, he's, he's back at home in Melbourne. His name is Easy E, if that gives you any, any um, context. <laughs> he, he goes, they thought 98 off 101 at number 11 was crazy. Wait till we reel off 420 for the last three wickets. Disclaimer, I may or may not be hist- horrifically drunk. You were batting at the time. I've texted back just 102 more boundaries and a single. He replies, Pato just got the single. They are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, on a, that's very distracting. <laughs> I just thought I just wanted to share that with you. That was happening while you were out there. Uh, well, I remember you said to me a couple of years ago, you reckon you can be a test number seven. I mean, we saw your hit runs in a hurry last week at Birmingham, but much like Pat, really, isn't it? These years out of the game, you get a chance to spend hours and hours in the net's batting. Yeah, well, that's that's it. You just, you know, if you can't improve your, your running or your, your bowling and that sort of thing, um, you know, you, you can sit on the bowling machine and you get wangs now off the, yep. the bowling coaches and everything. So you can sit there for, for however long you want and, and, and keep hitting balls. So I think for me, that was a goal. I, I managed to do it this year with Victoria, bat at seven. And, yep. and I think that was a you know, big success for us in terms of, you know, being able to play four quicks um, with our success we had this year, we looked in the Shield final where, you know, basically that we were relentless. Really, we had me and Sid's opening the bowling, and then you have Scott Boland who was the leading wicket taker, and Trem who's mm. the leading wicket taker mm. for the last two years in domestic cricket. So, you know, you look back and you 
you think you know, there's four of them. It's just you know it's really it's really good for, for Victorian cricket to to be like that. So um, yeah, it was just great to be able to to be able to get a chance and bat at number seven and always look to improve. Really, was it nice that it was there was a degree of caution showed about you? You mentioned the South Africa Test at Cape Town, your rush back, New Zealand at Christchurch. You're playing with three serious injuries. You said no to coming to Ranchi in 2017. Pat came instead, but you're mindful that you don't want to rush things like it feels like you understand at age 29 you've probably got more time than you thought you had a few years ago when you were rushed in and you were happy to comply yeah I think so and I think as a young bloke it's hard to say no sometimes um that's why you know we're always in constant communication now with the selectors and stuff about after test matches how you pull up you know how do you think you'll go this game and I think that's that's the beauty of having so many different bowlers available now and I think that's what they've been wanting for for ages is just to that opportunity if a bowler's not at 100% you know we don't have to risk that we can have someone come in and, and do just as good a job and um, you know looking back on on those sort of tests you touched on South Africa and that you know if I had my time again I probably you know would have taken longer at that stage mm. and I think the I think the perfect way they've done is, is with Pat, Pat Cummings you know he, got, he got managed to play two years of just white ball cricket but through that two years he was exposed to some high intensity cricket you know, albeit only ten overs, there was some high intensity international cricket, which is which is tough work. So, you know, and, and then you see him come back to Test cricket and really flourish on on the back of that. So, um, I think they're learning, and, and it's never going to be the perfect perfect way to do things. But yeah, it's always hard, especially for me when I was one of the top bowlers, and there wasn't really much behind that. So, when you when you haven't got a lot behind that, and you're always they're always pushing you to play, it's you know hard to say say no sometimes. And and playing Test cricket for Australia, most of the time you you want to play that. Yeah, you're never going to turn it down if, if you get the shot. So, were they, were they, was there support broadly in 2017 when you know? I mean, it was it was kind of your call to not be available for that test series, or, um, or was it more a, a doctor's call? A little bit, Michael. I think it's just learning on past experiences. Um, you know, at that time, I think I'd played only one game of first class cricket when you know the, the spot came available. I'd come off a, a bit bit of cricket in a big bash which wasn't that successful and I was sort of still feeling a bit stiff in that in my back so for me it was just a smart decision to to try and get through the shield um, and then go and play some county cricket which you know uh, that period that last bit of 2017 shield cricket I was I remember playing games and my back pulling out really stiff I was getting scans after every game and they were clear and you know I'd play a game and my back was really stiff again and I'd get another scan so at that time that everything like that was going on and then there was a chance to go over there and I just thought you know it's, it's probably not right you know I'm not 100% here so I don't think I can risk it so it was just you know going on past experiences and how I felt uh, at the time. James you have a bus to catch and a gym session to do and hopefully a test match to play here in a couple of days there's a reason why you're everyone's favourite cricketer by the way we love what you do we've had an enormous amount of fun watching your journey so far let's hope it's at the halfway mark and you have a long second half of your career because we we just love watching you bowl but I love the philosophical nature of it, though, that you're like, I've, you know, I've achieved what I've achieved. That is what it is. And pr- pretty much anything from here is a bonus, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, you've got to enjoy each test match. And I think my preparation now is really good. Um, my recovery is quite good. And I think the one thing I've learned and I've worked with a few people over the last few years is just not to look too far ahead and you know at the end of the career hopefully you know I've I've, I've retired at 35 and I've played a f- maybe 50 test matches but you know f- for me right now it's just you know trying to enjoy life you know while I'm still an international cricketer. Brilliant James Pattinson thanks so much for being part of the final word. No worries thanks for having me guys cheers. Hi I'm Isha Gua and you're listening to the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Levin.
This is The Final Word, story time with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, wrapping up for another weekend. And our big thanks retrospectively to James Pattinson for taking out the time during an Asher series to sit down with us for a, a long conversation. Yeah, I think we when we talked to him, we were certain he was going to play, weren't we? We thought, oh, how mm. good is this going to be? Pato back at Lords and all the rest. And he was rotated out and played again at Leeds. And, and that was his... Well, he played two of the five tests. One was the magnificent win at Edgbaston and two was the galling loss that they had at Leeds. So they were two eventful test matches he played in <laughs> last year in England and got a couple more opportunities in Australia over the summer. And let's hope that he continues to do so because he's a great fella, very exciting cricketer uh, and someone with a good story to tell. The final word is on the Bad Producer Productions podcast network. You can look them up and have a look at their other shows, which are uniformly fantastic. Thanks to DC for doing the edits every week. And, and thanks most of all to everyone who supports the show on Patreon and everyone who supports the show just by listening in and uh, letting other people know that oh, this seems to be the greatest cricket podcast in the world. Not that we, ha- we have an ego about it. We're just like, you know, you just know. You just know when you're the best. We're not trying to be the best. We're just trying to be ourselves. And, and if you want to hang out with us while we're being ourselves, then that's a really nice thing and, and we're glad that so many of you do have nice weekends everyone all right final word we'll see you for the regular show during the week I had to go and-